Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Independent Advisors podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, give you all of the news you need to know from the previous week in the financial markets and in the world of financial planning. So uh, Matt and I are, like I mentioned uh, in last week's podcast, we're in Kentucky for some business this week. So we're recording this uh, in our hotel room. So um, Matt, how are we doing today? It's been an interesting week, hasn't it been? Yeah, it has been. Lots of stuff going on, a lot of volatility in the market. So uh, Things we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. So everything is kind of coming to fruition now. So um, a lot of moving parts, I guess. There is. That's why I think uh, having uh, listeners that um, subscribe and listen to on a consistent basis, I think uh, as time goes on, they're going to gain a lot of knowledge uh, from what you and I continue to talk about. Right, right. And hopefully um, in a way that everybody um, can understand. Sure. So, um, so take the first couple of minutes to review the performance uh, for the month and the year of the major indexes. And these numbers are as of August 14th, the close of August 14th. So the S&P is down 4.69% for the month and up 16.73% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrials is down 4.98% uh, for the month and up 14.34% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index is down 4.91% for the month and up 20.81% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 is down 6.69% for the month and up 12.92% for the year. The international index that we track, X United States, is down 3.35% for the month and up 7.32% from the year. And all of that is from stockcharts.com. The three-month treasury yield is sitting at 2%. The two-year treasury yield sits at 1.66%. And the 10-year treasury yield is currently sitting at 1.68%. Um, you know, back above the two-year treasury, um, it briefly inverted and went below it for a little bit there, Matt, but um, we finished the day, it looks like, um, above uh, the yield curve inversion. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, you know, the market right now, um, not just in the U.S., but globally, is, is, is fighting and trying to determine, are we going to go into a major global recession? Right. Right. And so what is that indicative of? It's indicative of all these interest rates around the world just continue to go down. And it just shows money leaving risk assets and going into safe havens. Yeah. Yeah, and there's been a huge flow into that. And we'll get into talking about what we think the next move is going to be and some data to back that up. Um, but moving on to the big news and headlines, um, current events from the week. Um, on Tuesday uh, of this week, on August 12th, stocks jumped on Tuesday, um, on news that the Trump administration was going to delay some tariffs on Chinese imports from September 1st to December 15th. Um, so the items that were included in that were smartphones, video game consoles, uh, notebook computers, and a couple other items. However, uh, the major indices fell again on Wednesday uh, the 13th, 
because of, like I mentioned before, the 10-year um, treasury inverting against the two-year. So again, that means that the two-year treasury yield um, was uh, yielding more, or excuse me, the two-year treasury uh, was yielding more than the 10-year uh, treasury, which again is another recession indicator. Uh, when you couple that with an already inverted uh, three-month treasury and 10-year uh, treasury yield curve. So um, again, just another data point. But um, So in plain English, for people that are listening, I think what's good to kind of point out is traditionally when these things have occurred in the past, mm -hmm. there has been a high correlation that a recession has not immediately followed but has been in a proximity of, say, one to two years from when this occurrence happens. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, if you look back over history and, you know, if people want to hear this, we can provide the accurate data from this. But, you know, it ranges anywhere from a recession happening within the next three months to the next two or two and a half years. So, again, it's yeah. not an imminent indicator. Right, but it's not always 100% that we're going to have a recession. Right. It's Tre just that it's a high probability and it kind of gets our ears extra pointed up like something could happen. Of here. course, of course, because yeah. Treasury yields have inverted um, – or curves have inverted before, and you know there wasn't a recession following it. So correct. Um, so there have been those instances, but it is seems to be a pretty accurate indicator um, looking over history. So, yeah. Um, moving on to articles, tweets, and research from the week that we found interesting. Um, both Matt and I uh, both brought this up and wanted to talk about it on the podcast. It was from Business Insider on August 9th. Um, and it was an article that was talking about how a Danish bank is offering a mortgage with a negative 0.5% interest rate for a 10-year loan. So the bank, Matt, is paying <laughs> you <laughs> to take out a mortgage. I mean, you want to talk about counterintuitive, right? Right. So uh, first of all, for everyone listening, you have to live over in Europe to get access to this type of mortgage. This is not accessible. It's not something that we can get here can in get. the U.S. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it just goes to show you that um, investors, whether it be institutions or individuals outside the U.S. mark, are so concerned about risk that they are willing to tie up capital for negative returns. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know we keep harping on this, but this is starting to compound the amount of negative yields. And I'm just going to throw it out there. You even had former chairman Alan Greenspan come out and say it's not far-fetched that we have zero interest rates again in the Fed in the U.S. So I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because no one here has ever experienced anything like that, right? So this is kind of new waters worldwide uh, for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, next, Matt, you had, um, another data point on, um, estimates that the Fed could cut rates all the way to zero, like you were just saying. Correct. Um, by December, 2020. Correct, Mark. So this piece was from, uh, Rabobank. It's a European bank, um, there, um, in the Northern European, um, countries. And, um, the, they estimate that in their projection, this is their proprietary research, that, the probability of a recession in the next one to two years is at 80%. Okay, now this is their proprietary model. What goes into that model was not kind of disclosed. I'm going to take a guess. Probably has a lot to do with yields and some of the warning signs that people are reacting to right now in the marketplace. 
So the talking point that I want to bring uh, is this. How accurate has it been in the past? Right? Mm -hmm. So if you go back to the Great Recession of 07 to 08, in 2006, this indicator was showing a probability of a recession in the near term of 60%. And then in early 2000, that rose to 70%, peaked at 78% probability of a recession before we officially went into it. So I'm going to say they nailed it there. Right. Okay? Yeah, of course. The one before that was the 2000 to 2002 recession. Their um, indicator on this model also nailed it early. Um, it w they had a positive over 50% probability of a recession in 98. That was false. We had an Asian currency crisis at that time. And that provide a false indicator on, um, on their recession uh, model. And then the uh, recession before that was in the early 90s, and their model, and their model nailed that one. Okay. So let's call it uh, three out of four in the past. They mm -hmm. hit it perfectly. And the highest probability was 78% in 07. And we are at an 80% probability here in 2019. So what is your uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, well, obviously it looks like anything um, that got over 60% came true um, when there was the 50% indicator in uh, 1998. Obviously, it was a fa false alarm. Correct, sir. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know too much about the this, mo what this model goes into with them it. and what goes into it. Um, so, you know, for all we know, it could, they could be, you know, talking out of another side of their mouth, but... Back this testing is all data true, that yeah, supports their yeah, view. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I just but I take is, it as another indicator. Yeah, exactly. Right? Another it's data another, point. Yeah, another data point, which, I mean, it makes sense that, you know, that they're saying this now and, and with all the other, you know, data points that we've pointed out here, um, especially in regards to, to yield curves um, with interest rates. Yeah, the last point I'll make is this. The um, parabolic move that we've had in yields and bonds over the past, I'm going to say, 6, 12 months, has been so dramatic. I guess it doesn't surprise me, Mark, that this um, research is indicating uh, an 80% probability of a recession, that because the move in bonds has been so dramatic, I guess it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been... Doesn't mean we're going to have an 07, 08 type recession. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, and that kind of actually is a good leading point into my next comment. Um, I read a bunch of industry blogs and um this one that i was reading this morning was from tom boley um from stockcharts.com and his blog is called trading places um and this is what just a snippet from what he said he said in all caps i am bullish we are in a secular bull market that in my opinion is still in the very early stages a mountain of money will rotate from overbought global treasuries to fuel a massive stock market rally GDP in the U.S. still remains healthy, jobs are strong, and interest rates are near historic lows. It's a perfect environment for stocks. But the stock market is facing hurdles in the short to intermediate term that rear its ugly head from time to time, causing fear and panic and sudden sell-offs that are currently unavoidable. They are part of an investing... They are, excuse me, they are part of investing in the here and now. Trying to short the stock market and remaining on the short side is an incredible, dangerous strategy. However, yesterday, one piece of mildly bullish trade news and the Dow Jones moved up nearly 600 points in 45 minutes. 
imagine a trade deal. So what's your take on that, Matt? Because like you were saying, there's been such an inflow into global debt around the world that, you know, there has to be at some point, you know, a point where it gets overbought and money flows back into the stocks. But we don't know when that's going to be. It could keep going for another two days, two months, two years. Yep. But, you know, we don't know that. But, you know, it's just kind of it's getting to the point where it's pretty head turning at this point. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, Mark, as you were reading through that is we are just going to be in an environment uh, for, I would say, the rest of the year at least where we're at heightened volatility. I think um, you're going to see these up six, 700 points on the Dow, down seven, 800 as the market reacts instantaneously, shoots first, asks questions later. Yeah. I would say that this is an environment where you really need to be investing for your long-term goals, your long-term um, risk profile. Because if you're thinking about what the market's going to be doing next week or, or in four weeks, this is not the type of environment where trying to time it on a short-term basis is going to be easy. Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, going back to his comment about a mountain of money will rotate from overbought global treasuries to fuel a massive stock rally. Um, now, I'll tackle you know, that. Yeah. So it's just yeah. going to be a matter of time, okay? Maybe um, it takes us getting past the presidential election next fall, but I'm going to say this. I'd say in the next three years, people will no longer accept these negative rates of return or very much near zero rates of return when you even have more conservative-oriented equities that are yielding sometimes 25 3 3.5%. I just think it's only a matter of time, Mark, especially pension funds. They can't be sitting in bonds earning 2%. It's not going to happen. They're not going to meet their 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 pensioners needs right especially with the huge unfunded liabilities that they have already had for several years now <laughs> so in the big picture what tom was blogging about what you were mentioning in a very big picture i agree with this yeah i agree i, okay? I agree too we just don't know when it's going to happen right that's right and, and so i think we're in an environment where um from my perspective i'm identifying that there's more cross currents there's a lot more negative data points it puts me in an environment where um I'm a little more defensive. Now, do I want to be completely out of stocks? Absolutely not. I mean, this is an environment where you want to own quality. and yeah. But um, I think he makes a valid point. He, he brings us back to the big picture. You know, don't be worrying about what the market's going to do next week, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we need to be focused about the longer term in big picture, Mark. I agree with you. We are still in a secular bull market. Yeah, and another thing I was looking um, at a chart that he had in this too, and Tom makes the argument that we really didn't start this secular bull market until 2013 because we didn't take out the highs from before 07 until we were in 2013. I, and that's a great point also. Yeah, so you know that's another argument just to play devil's advocate that you know we still might not be done in this secular bull market we still may have some room to the upside to the run eventually great point and the last yeah. point i think we should make is this just because uh we're in a secular bull market doesn't mean we're not going to have short-term corrections last fourth quarter mark is Perfect a great example. example yeah now was that a little extreme right 
because it was the worst quarter going back to the first quarter of 09? Yeah, but let's use it as an example. We're going to have quarters like that. It's not going to go straight up. The market's not going to go up a quarter of a percent every day consistently. It just doesn't work that way. But overall, big picture, I'm really, really glad that you brought this uh, blog piece to attention especially in light of how the market's been this past week. Yeah, exactly. And just people haven't been used to this type of volatility, right? Because when we went from, you know, um, you know, 2016 to 2018, we were in historically uh, a low period of volatility. Yep. And, you know, when you're in that type of environment for two years, you tend to forget what has happened in the past. But Q4 of 2018 was not out of the historical norms to have a quarter like that for the market. Absolutely. Just because it hasn't happened in so long, it's why it felt so bad. It's yep. why it felt worse than it actually was. Yep. And that's why I'm very happy that you brought uh, Tom's blog post uh, and commented on today. I think it's very timely. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to the financial planning topic of, a, of the week, Matt and I kind of put a little twist on this one. Um, so most of you probably have heard in – the news that the new Apple credit card is now available. So back in the fall of 2018, I believe it was, Matt, yep. Apple unveiled that they were going to be starting a credit card. Um, so since Apple is obviously one of the most popular companies in the States, I thought it would be a fun uh, thing to talk about and point out some of the key features discussed in a Wall Street Journal article on August 11th by David Pierce. Um, so this has been pretty hyped up, Matt, by Apple over the past year. So let's try to take a look and see how it works. Yeah, I'm glad you picked this topic. This is yeah, going to be fun. Yeah. So starting off with um, the cash back and the rewards. So if you have the Apple card, you get 2% cash back on purchases you make using Apple Pay. 3% when you use the Apple card to buy, or excuse me, 3% when you use Apple Pay to buy apps, movies, and devices from Apple. So 2% is above average for all purchases with using Apple Pay, but the 3% is above average for a specific retailer. Oh, very um, much so. so it's Especially nice. Apple-type products. Yeah, exactly. So it's nice when you're buying things from the Apple Store, you're going to get 3% cash back, which from what I see is is higher than industry I mean, yeah. I mean, you're, you're buying books, you're buying movies. I mean, you could take me for an example. You know, if I'm going to go on a trip, I'm going to be on a plane for five hours. I usually cut it up, half work, and in half I watch a movie. And, right. And those movies add up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then... The rewards appear daily in the digital app cash card, which you can use with Apple Pay or to pay down the credit card's balance. So this is better than most cards, Matt, which redeem rewards monthly for the most part. But yeah, these rewards show up daily that you can impressive. use you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, you don't have to wait to the end of the month like most cards do. Or summer, like they don't give it to you till you pay it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So another cool thing that I thought was uh, was pretty interesting is you can also use this credit card to text money to friends and family, which I thought was pretty unique. Interesting. So this is kind of maybe them taking on the Venmos and the PayPal's of the world to try to um, make transferring money between people a little bit easier um, with doing it literally through a text message. You know, it's going to be uh, very interesting, Mark, as more and more people are utilizing the iOS or the Apple platform, right, with these phones. Um, it's going to be a hard barrier to entry. 
I mean, if they make it super simple and let's say you and I go out to dinner and yeah. you pay for it and I owe you 30 bucks and it literally me. takes me five <laughs> seconds to send you the money, I'm saying, I mean, you know, don't count Apple out as a disruptor. Yeah. You know, I mean, stuff like this could really hurt some of the competition in that area. And we've heard for some time now that, you know, Apple is, you know, they've gotten to their peak. They're not innovating yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all that Be stuff. Be careful, because one thing I, I did read in the last Apple's earnings report, the last quarter had the highest quarterly spending on R&D ever for Apple. So, it's so not a lot like, of people thought that Tim Cook had really kind of slashed that and kind of wanted to enhance the bottom line. Not true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree with that. Um, obviously, with, with the technology they're coming out with this, they're not cutting back on R&D, and I continue to believe that they'll innovate for the future, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive what they kind of put together here. But keep going. I'm, I apologize. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, so, but however, um, if you use the Apple card, um, like a regular credit card, um, you know, buying from, say, Target or Walmart or um, Kroger, you only get um, 1% cash back on all other purchases that don't have to do um, when you use Apple Pay or when you use um, the credit card when you go to buy things from Apple. So the 1% cash back is a little below the industry average. I think the average that I read somewhere was around 1.5% cash back. That sounds back. about right to me. If I was going to guess, by the way, I was going to say one and a half. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the, I guess, negatives you can notch on your pros and cons list if you're making one. Um so David goes on to say, for reward point junkies, the Apple card probably isn't enticing, even without an annual fee. For the first time card owners, though, or people who don't have time or energy to devote to maximizing the value of reward points, Apple's offering could be a simple and straightforward way to buy stuff, track your spending, and pay your bill on time. So the takeaways I have from this are that there's no annual fee, which is nice. But there's no reward points either. So if people, mm -hmm. you know, want rewards on, um, you know, free checked bags on airlines or um, free, you know, hotel rooms when they build up enough points, this Apple Card's not for you. Yep. But if you want it to track your spending and kind of help you with budgeting, this could help. I think. Yes. Um, you know, and I think this is their their product to rival the mint.coms of the world where, you know, they track your budgeting and kind of um, put into different sections of your life where you're spending your money. Yeah, and I think that from Apple's perspective that people's phones are so integrated in their life that, you know, that's probably going to be something that people are going to pay. Yeah. They're going to pay that bill. Yeah, I think so. And so, you know, I think it's interesting how, you know, Apple's trying to turn the page on – what a credit card looks like, integrate it with their technology, try to incentivize people with uh, the cash back return. You know, I look at it from they're making, they're going to make everybody um, improve what they're offering. So this is friendly competition, and I absolutely welcome it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And from what I've seen, the interfa interface is uh, very clean and slick, um, simple for people to understand if, you know, if they want budgeting help. And the nice thing is that in the transaction details, um, there's no encryption like some other charges on other credit cards. You know, I Matt, like how this. you've gotten yes. a bill or you look through your credit was, card charges. You and, and I like, traveled a month ago and it says XXX gas station. Yeah, and with it's like, like a number. Where was I? 
was I a BP? Was I a, right? But sometimes it's food, but it's, it says something else. Yeah, and and Apple does a good job, and they actually, you know, they they segment that, and there's no encryption, right? So Love if you it. buy because if they're taking Apple Pay, they're going to be able to know truly who that vendor is. Yeah. So if you got gas from BP, it's going to tell you you bought gas at BP at this location. And hey, if you have a problem with this charge, here's the number to BP that you can call to resolve I the problem. I love it. Now, so see, that's pretty that cool. That is cool. Yeah. So I know that I've definitely had instances where I'm looking at my, you know, credit card bill and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what this charge is. And then you know, you spend an hour trying to dig and figure out what the heck happened. Yeah. Um. So that's another uh, plus for the Apple Card, I believe. I'll be curious to see how this continues to disrupt kind of the credit card industry because, again, how many people in America have iPhones? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. So Goldman Sachs is um, Apple's bank partner for this card, and they, another thing I found interesting, review your application, um, and they do that by a TransUnion credit check. And it works as fast as um, taking you time to sign up for an app. So this is a nice feature because acceptance denial um, is almost instantaneous when you apply for this card. Yep. Which is nice. You don't have to wait. And once you're you're approved, you can start using it right away. And if you choose to get the Apple card, the physical, excuse me, Apple card, then, you know, that takes a week or so to ship, but you can start using it and get your rewards through just using Apple Pay. So I know somebody that did recently um, sign up. They were on the list, signed up. They got approved in like seven seconds, Mark. Yeah, pretty quick. Immediately showed up in their Apple uh, wallet, and they could use it. They said it was a slick process. Now it's brand new. We'll see how they like it a couple of months from now. But the ease of signing up, getting it in your wallet, getting used to using it at the checkout, uh, this person said it was very easy. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's a titanium card, so it's always nice to you know tap that on the table and have it have that slick, nice oh, look yeah. to and it. You, and you yeah. know it's in your pocket, right? <laughs> right. You're not right. going to miss that. So, um, and Apple says that also that 65% of all U.S. retail locations now support it. Hmm. So that's I mean, interesting. Their adoption it's not too long ago, Mark, that they launched Apple. I know, and they already have right. all these. They're on at two thirds saturation. Yeah, in the U.S. That's impressive. It's a pretty good amount considering how much you know and how many retail locations there are in the U.S. And you and I both know they're getting a cut from every transaction that goes through that system. Right. Exactly. Yep. So. Um, Moving on uh, throughout this article, the Apple Card almost turns the wallet app into a great budgeting tool. It categorizes your expenses by day, type, and merchant, like Matt and I just mentioned, so you can see where your money is going. But the only downfall to this is that Apple doesn't integrate the card with other credit cards in your Apple Pay account, so you can't see all of your spending in one place. It's just the the purchases you use either using Apple Pay or your credit card. Or, excuse me, not your credit card. Um, yeah, the Apple credit card, not your other credit cards sure. that you have linked to sure. Apple Pay. Cause, right? Because the way Apple Pay works is you can link a credit card to Apple Pay, and then you know when you're at the grocery store that takes Apple Pay, you can tap your phone, it pays via Apple Pay, but it's really getting charged to your credit card. Correct. So now, instead, Apple is giving you another option to replace it with this Apple credit card. Mm-hmm. 
So you don't have to use your other credit cards. And if you know it's you're one of those people that buy a lot of things from Apple or use Apple Pay for a lot of purchases, then it could make sense. It could make sense. Yeah. So another great feature I found, Matt, was that there's no foreign transaction fees. That's a biggie. So the only fees you would pay with this card is the interest rate if you carry a balance from month to month. So Apple said in March of this year that the APR would be somewhere between 13 and 24%, I think mm-hmm. I read somewhere, Matt, um, So which also I think is below industry standards. So I've seen yeah. rates a lot higher than that. Oh, yeah. Um, moving on to the last page of this article, um, in relation to interest, it's actually, um, telling you how much interest you'll pay on whatever is left over. So we've never seen this type of transparency with credit cards where it's actually encouraging you to pay off your monthly balances um, instead of carrying a balance and paying interest on it every month. Now, I love it. And I remember watching this presentation a year ago uh, when, they un- when they unveiled this. It was me, you, and our other partner, Eric, who watched it. And if my memory's correct, if you made a larger purchase, I'm going to take a fictitious purchase, a $1,500 MacBook Pro. Uh, when it shows up in your Apple wallet, you can immediately set up a payment plan and know what you're going to pay that if you want to uh, split it over six months, this is what I'm going to pay in interest. Yeah, but if I do cool. it for five, this is what I know it's going to be in interest. Because I think so many times people get caught in this situation where, oh, I'm going to charge it and I'll do and I'll pay it over 12 months. But the way I understand it is when you make that purchase, you can set up a payment plan upon purchase and it will automatically then execute those payments. At least that's what they kind of showed in the presentation. Yeah, absolutely. But it's yeah, a way for, I think, people, generally speaking, to better control those purchases and understand what that interest actually equals in real dollars. Right, because you know how it goes, man. It's, you know, you have one thing you really want to buy, and you buy it, and you say, okay, I'll, I'll pay it off. But then, you know, two weeks later, you see something else, and you're like, ooh, this looks nice. Yeah. So then you buy that, and then you just get behind the eight ball, and... You know, you, Next you thing you know, up. you got five grand of credit card debt. Exactly, right? exactly. So it's, I think this is the coolest feature because no other credit card does this, and it encourages you to pay off your balance by being transparent with what you're going to pay in interest if you don't. Yeah, I remember when Tim Cook was talking about it at the presentation a year ago, I think part of the motivation he had was to make a car that was more transparent, that was more responsible per se, right? Mm-hmm. be curious to see how that ends up actually working out. So David goes on to talk a little bit more about the security of the card, and he says that the Apple card is marketed as more secure and private than most. Apple says it never collects your purchase history or personal data. All the transaction and spending data is generated locally on your phone. However, Goldman Sachs does collect and store that data, but it promises never to share or sell it. So take a for their word, I guess, with that. The, the one thing I'll throw out there about privacy is compared to a lot of tech companies, Apple has had that feather in their cap for a while. They have. They have. And um, he also says in here that when you buy something with Apple Pay, all that's sent out is a simple token saying you're a real user, so merchants don't get your info and card number. That's huge. So, and that alone makes me use Apple Pay with the existing credit cards I have. Yeah, exactly, because it sends it another almost phony number that has nothing to do with your actual credit card number. Love it. Yeah. So that with how big personal security is these days, that's a big 
big plus and check mark for Apple with this credit card. Um, so I guess, Matt, let me just ask you, what are your thoughts on the Apple card? And is it something that you think would be useful for you and your family? You know, I think it could be really interesting, um, especially from the aspect of I'm used to using the Apple wallet, right? And we do buy Apple products. You know, where else can you get 3% back? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, I'm definitely going to try it out. I have not officially done it yet, but I'm going to try it out. And I'm only going to use it if it's either through my phone or if I'm buying an Apple product to maximize that 2 and 3% cash back. I probably won't even order the physical card. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to try it out and just see how it goes. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I think that, um, you know, if people just want a simple budgeting tool, this is really great if, yeah. you know, you have Apple products. Um, I, you know, I've experienced Mint.com a little bit. And there's, a, you know, it is automated, but... I've had to go in and it marked a category wrong where sure. I went and bought something at a certain store and it marked it as, you know, a grocery instead of, you know, a personal home product exactly. or something like that. Exactly. But it seems like Apple's on the ball with keeping these categories um, pretty, pretty defined. accurate and, and defined. Yeah, so yeah. that's what kind of interests me on it. So you don't have to do the manual data entry on, you know, a, an Excel spreadsheet with a budgeting tool. Good point. So... So yeah, so um, if you guys try this Apple Card out, or if you have already have it and you know have used it, please reach out to us and let us know what your experience has been with it, um, because you know it's definitely something that I want to use, and hopefully we can share your experiences with other users if um, other people are interested as well. So is there anything else um, on your mind for the week, Matt? No, I just want to throw this out there. I think uh, big picture, uh, don't be surprised if uh, volatility in the market gets worse before it gets better. And I think this is a time you just need to have the mindset of investing for your goals and objectives and risk tolerance and know that we're in a heightened volatile market for a while. That's kind of the comment and thought I want to leave with. Yeah, I think that's a good way to end it. Obviously, keep um, keep the long term goal in mind, and don't make emotional decisions based on um, you know short term volatility that we've had here the past couple of weeks that we haven't seen in a while. It's going to happen. Uh, this isn't the last time it's going to happen. Um, the stock market's not going to go up 100% of the time, and sometimes you just have to be patient, sit on your hands, and do nothing. Sometimes yep. is the best option. Yes, it is. <laughs> that me and you both know. So. Um, So thank you everyone for listening to the eighth episode now of the Independent Advisors podcast. Um, We hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week and a safe weekend, and we will talk to you next week. See you next week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. 
Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.